Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On the last episode of Journey, Everest Base Camp. They put him in the stre- on the stretcher, then he, they, they, they tried to carry him <coughs> in down. When they crossed the river, he passed away. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Was that hard when you heard that? Yeah, I heard then. Oh, wow. It was, it was bad. From 1991 to today, that's 31 years. Yeah. So now you start to understand the increase that has happened yeah, since yeah. the 90s, and especially since after 2000. So the last 20 years it has exploded. Before we get into this episode, I want to thank you all for the support for this new podcast and those that have taken the time to send positive messages. It's been a bit of a passion project of mine and I really wasn't sure how well it would be received. And the response has been amazing. So thank you so much. And if you do love the podcast, you could greatly help by telling a friend and also leaving a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on. It all helps so much. Thanks again. Now let's jump back into the podcast at episode four and my first stay at an altitude of over 4,000 meters in Dole, where there's been an important new update. I awake to the sound of silence but with the faint trickle of a stream in the distance. Looking up, the small window in my room is almost completely iced over, with only a small circle of glass providing a window to the outside world. As I pull myself up and peer through, the ground slopes away gently before dropping into the valley beyond, above which a towering range of peaks are beginning to catch the morning sun. I had an interesting sleep last night. My blood oxygen levels had dropped fairly significantly and actually went below 80% for the first time at one point. And I must say, it feels a bit disconcerting. Plus I did also have a light headache, nothing too major, but just enough to tell me that there is a physiological change going on in my body right now. Whenever I'm away overseas, or whatever adventure I'm on, I always get up early. Normally, long before everyone else. It always seems like such a waste to sleep in. Especially in the Himalayas, when there's a hot Sherpa coffee to be had. 
My breath is puffing out in billows of steamy white as I'm hopping around on one foot, quickly trying to get myself changed. I pull on my thick woolen socks and creak my way out, gently closing my door behind me. It's all very quiet as I walk down the stairs and peek my head into the lounge. It seems that I'm the only one up. The front door to the lodge is slightly ajar, so I push through and walk outside, hopping from stone to stone in my socks. Sorry, Mum. Pausing, I just take it all in. The nearby stream, the snow-capped peaks, and pull in a deep breath of fresh, cold air. Hearing a noise, I turn and see Nidijan with a slightly bewildered look on his face. What are you doing out here, in the cold, with no shoes on? He obviously hasn't met many Kiwis. We consider socks to be appropriate footwear for most non-formal occasions. And I would add that, at least in my case, it doesn't feel that cold. At home, we have more of a wet cold. That kind of cold that penetrates every layer of your sheets and chills you to your bones. Here, as in most places it gets very cold on the thermometer, it's more of a dry cold. So for me, at least so far, it's not that cold. Just a frosty New Zealand morning. Five-year-olds would be playing rugby in bare feet in this weather at home. I head back inside into the lounge and find the potbelly fire being loaded with yak dung. It serves as both heating source and stove. Walking through Dole and all the other settlements from here up, you'll see any spare rock covered in pancakes of yak dung. They're placed here to dry before they're peeled off and stored for use in the fire. It might sound bizarre, but it's a highly effective form of heating. They burn really well, and despite a small amount of methane, really don't smell that bad. With a strong coffee now firmly in hand and breakfast ordered, porridge, the door to the lounge slowly swings open and my trekking buddy Hanky walks gingerly through. And she looks terrible. Her eyes are red and tear-streaked. She has a runny nose and just looks all round miserable. A blood oxygen test reveals that her levels have dropped into the mid-70s. And what we had thought to be a bout of the flu in Namche, it appears now, was the early onset of altitude sickness. Nidijan looks at the test results and then pulls us together for a team debrief. It's another beautiful day. Um, not quite sure what temperature it is. Probably somewhere around zero. Definitely got a fair bit under last night. Um, so... I've had to make a slight update to our plans. Um, Hanky, the other girl that's um, so in it, and my um, is me, myself, and and another girl um, from 
the Netherlands and we have our guide and both of our blood oxygen levels were down a bit last night and hers are quite a bit down so mine's rebounded okay now but hers hasn't so we're going to actually end up probably staying an extra day um, in Dolo where we are because mount, you know, altitude sickness is no joke um, there's other people in the in the lodge we're staying in now and they're having to head back down because um, the man's wife she's got altitude sickness and I had a headache all night last night um, you know and you're a long way from any help so you have to be careful with this stuff uh, but that's fine I think we have a day up our sleeves anyway so we are going to do a short hike in the area we're at and um, and then I think check everyone's levels and then reassess and and um, move on to Machermo which is our next location uh, probably tomorrow morning but that's no bother there's a bit of stuff to do around here so I think we might go for a little hike around and see if we can spot any wildlife or something but um, yeah yeah it's another beautiful day in the Himalayas beautiful Uh, she's a pretty good freeze as well this morning. There's a nice little stream that runs down past past our lodge. And um, here, listen to this. It's kind of fun going along and breaking the ice. It's actually surprisingly thick, which makes me think it must have got fairly cold last night. I mean, the ice is a good centimetre thick. Um... And we're not even, uh, where we're heading, Gorup Shep, I think the, it's going to get to fifth, minus 15 to minus 20, so we're only just warming up. Fortunately, by mid-morning, my O2 levels have now fully recovered, and I feel more or less perfectly fine. So our plan has been adjusted, and we'll now stay an extra night in Dole for acclimatisation before we move on to our next stay in Machermo. While this is a bit of a concern, we do in fact have time to take this extra day and still make it to base camp and back in time, as the return journey can be done a day faster. Of course, no day in the Himalayas should ever be wasted, and Nidijan makes the plan that we should hike up a nearby hill, which will provide stunning views of Dole and the valley and will also help achieve the goal of better acclimatisation. Remember, climb high, sleep low. We meet out front of the lodge as the sun begins to slowly flood the valley. A light jacket and trekking pants are all that are required for this couple-hour hike. Crossing the stream, we hook a right and follow the dirt track as it immediately slopes up. But within only a hundred metres or so, it's clear that Hanky is struggling. I feel for her. She's such a super determined girl, and I can only imagine how frustrating it must be. It seems a gargantuan effort just to get one foot in front of the other. This day hike is straight up the hill and straight back, so I decide to move ahead 
and stop along the way to take photos and video. Soon enough, I reach what I thought was the top of the hill, but instead discover that this is a false summit and it actually becomes a long ridge, which eventually tops out much farther along. I look back down and see Hanky sitting with Nidijan a distance below. They wave out that they're going to turn back. I let them know I'll see them in a couple hours at the lodge, because there's still so much more exploring for me to do here yet. The foliage in this area could be considered alpine. There are no longer any trees. The landscape is bare dirt, interspersed with rocky outcrops and small alpine shrubs. Altitude aside, it's comfortable, easygoing, despite the wind. Okay, it's day five, and we've just done a little hike up next to our guest house. So the next route we're going is Machermo, which is up that way, only a few hours. Um, today we're actually going to stay here, do a hike, an extra day's acclimatisation, because we've got a day up our sleeve, and we might as well. But just when we're standing here, if you can see in the distance, you can see that small settlement over the river below, and far across this massive valley, many hundreds of metres up the mountains, I can see a tiny line running across the edge of the slope. It seems hard to believe, but Nidijan confirms that this is indeed another trail, although not widely used. Right on the edge of that mountain, and the only way to get there is along that narrow, narrow trail. Um, but apparently our guide says that, yep, I mean, you can go there. There is a guest house, a restaurant you can stop on the way through. But it's pretty amazing stuff. You can see the path following people making their way along. And where we're going to be heading is Gokyori, which is way down that way. And then there's a pass over there, which we're going to be taking in a few days. As usual, she's stunning beauty. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. As the others make their way back down to the lodge, I continue to follow the ridge until it finishes at the summit of the hill, which is easy enough to spot as it's adorned with a long string of Tibetan prayer flags held up by a sort of makeshift clothesline. Nidijan informed me that the funeral ritual in the Himalayas often involves a body being carried to a high place, often far up a mountainside, and buried. The location is then adorned with strings of prayer flags. 
As a result of this, virtually any time you look up, you'll see rows and rows of the colourful flags blowing in the breeze. Some in incredibly precarious locations, on the edges of cliffs, spanning mountain valleys and faded from years in the sun. I sit on the hill for a good time, letting the sun soak into my face, until eventually I decide it's time to move on. As I'd made my way up the hill, I'd noticed far off in the distance what looked to be old stone buildings hanging right on the edge of a cliff, so I decide to head in that direction and explore. Along the way, I eventually come back across the main trail that we'll follow tomorrow. And on it, I run into a young French guy in his early 20s. And we walk for a while in the same direction chatting. It turns out he's also doing the Gokyo reroute, the same as us, but he's doing it solo. Today, he's also staying in Dole, but at a different tea house. And he's taking an acclimatization day. Today, there's been a concern that has been slowly growing in my mind. And that's that Hanky appears to be really struggling with either the altitude or fitness or both. The reality is that I don't know her personally. So I don't have any idea what her level of fitness is. Which is always a risk when taking on this type of trek with someone you don't know. But my concern is that if she doesn't improve drastically today or overnight, I find it hard to see how she can possibly make it to Everest Base Camp from here. My worry is that if we have to use another rest day, we'll literally run out of time and won't make it. But continuing solo for me also seems like a great risk. As I'm chatting to Artier, he makes a suggestion that we join up tomorrow and continue together if Hanky is unable to continue. It seems like a good backup plan. So we exchange numbers and plan to have a chat the following day. RTA disappears into the distance up the trail as I hop off and down into a stunning open flat area dotted with abandoned stone buildings and fences. Their exact age I can't be sure but these buildings don't resemble the other more modern stone lodges and homes we've seen on the trail. These look much older and are made from loose, uncut rocks. Most are in a state of disrepair with caved-in roofs. Surrounding each stone building is a large ring of fencing, again made entirely out of loose rock, stacked around five feet high. I'm quite literally the only person in this area, and it's quiet, aside from the sounds of the odd bird and the river far below. Walking down and through the ruins, it really has the feeling of an abandoned medieval village, perhaps once the scene of some great battle. Scattered across the area are large skeletons of beasts that have met some unfortunate fate. One thing I absolutely love is that if you stay on the tourist trail, I mean the Everest trek, yeah, you're going to see tourist-related things. But if you go just off, everything else is pretty much completely untouched. I've just walked off 
the main trail a short distance and you can see here basically what this is it's more or less an abandoned farm I guess so what they used to do is when they would come through with sheep or yaks they'd stop overnight here and this would be a place that they could keep them when they moved on but now I guess times have changed and they no, long, they no longer do that um, but you know pretty special place now I'm going to head over there and see what I can find I take my time exploring the area before eventually deciding to just lay down on the short alpine grass next to the cliff edge, stretch my legs out and admire the view of the valley and the mountain range that extends into the distance. Being out and alone in nature like this truly is my happy place. I've been gone for about two hours now and decide it's time to get back before Nidijan thinks I've fallen off a cliff and comes looking for me. Back at the Riverside Lodge, I find that Hanky's situation hasn't improved. She still feels and looks terrible and hasn't really seen much of a change in her oxygen level. Personally, I seem to have fully recovered and feel fine. The thing with altitude sickness is that it affects everyone differently. Fitness, age or health aren't necessarily determining factors when it comes to who will be affected. Even those who have previously been at altitude with no issue can then be struck down on another occasion. The real key is to do with time spent while acclimating. You really do just need to take it slow and don't bite off more altitude than you can chew in one day. It's actually not recommended to ascend more than 500 metres in vertical elevation. And yesterday, we actually climbed 600 metres from Namche to Dole. So we're definitely pushing the limits. There's one other thing than time that can be done to help improve your chances of not getting sick. And that's a drug called Diamox. You'll find all kinds of opinions online about whether it's a good idea. Diamox is taken in pill form, normally twice a day. So it's not particularly difficult or invasive. But the issue with it is the side effects. These range from person to person, but commonly people experience increased thirst, nausea, vomiting, loss of appetite, diarrhea, numbness or tingling, especially in your arms and legs. So yeah, at the worst, these side effects sound horrendous. Before I started the trek, I was pretty ambivalent about taking the drug, but figured it would be good to have it on hand if needed. But ultimately, I didn't mind either way. But when we initially met with Nidijan, it was his belief that we didn't need it. The side effects can be nasty, and if we just made our way up at the right speed, we'd be fine. But he said he had some on hand if it came to it, so I didn't bother picking any up. 
and in the lodges we discovered that virtually every person we met was taking Diamox. So the way it works is that you should take it as a preventative before you get sick. More or less, the whole time you're above 2,500 metres, you take it daily, whether you're sick or not. So really, you're weighing up the chances you'll get AMS if you don't take it versus the side effects if you do take it. It is up to personal choice. And so far, we haven't used it. Whether that was a smart decision in the end, we'll find out soon enough. For now, we're in time-killing mode. When you're constantly waiting to acclimatise, there can be a lot of waiting around. Everyone's gathered in the lodge, reading or just chilling out. Internet at this point is fairly sketchy. Before leaving, I did purchase a Nepalese SIM card. And it had worked up until now. But in the valley where this lodge is, it's a firm no signal. But that's fine by me. I've got a book with me I've had on the shelf and been meaning to read for years. Andre Agassi's autobiography, Open. And I'm tearing through it. It's so good. Eventually, a deck of cards comes out and we play this ripper local Nepalese card game common among the Sherpa. Our playing partners are an American couple on their way back down, having already reached base camp. And they look absolutely destroyed. The husband has dark rings around his eyes and looks like he's got one foot in the grave. Needless to say, they're very happy to be heading back down. And they're not even carrying their own packs. They're using porters. Eventually, half boredom, half tiredness drives me to bed. So I creak my way upstairs and slip under three thick duvets. That's a bonus of one person in a room. You can steal the other blankets. But eventually, I drift off to sleep. Blissfully unaware that tomorrow was about to be the craziest day of the entire trek. And that I was only hours away from making a decision that would put not only the success of this whole trip in danger, but my very life. Journey is a Brevity Studios production. Written, produced and narrated by me, Ryan Wolf. You'll find posts with photos and videos dedicated to this podcast on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, and on our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. You can support my guide, Nidijan, with a follow on his Instagram, where he puts up amazing daily photos of his current treks. You'll find his Instagram and further details about this trek in the description of every episode. For ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and early release, you can subscribe to our Brevity Plus channel on Apple Plus, or you can subscribe to Journey with a one-off payment on Acast Plus. You'll find the details in the show notes of this episode. On the next episode of Journey, Everest Base Camp. Um, but we're faced with the first predicament of the trek so far. The girl that I joined up with, that I just sort of randomly met in Kathmandu, and um, she's really struggling. Um, you can see the where I've come from here. I sort of separated with them because... She's going really, really slow. Um, I think I'm going to have to separate with them today because it's just the pace is just too slow. Um, I've met some other people that 
that are soloing, and I might join up with them and keep going. Certainly now that I'm out on my own, you get the sense of how isolated you are. Uh, there's not many people around now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.